Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Healthy Girl Podcast. I'm so excited for today's episode because we're actually bringing one of my favorite guests back on the pod, Dr. Elliot Berlin. He is truly amazing. He was actually on the podcast two years ago. It was like during the pandemic. We were in full on lockdown mode. It was, yeah, it was it was 2020. And I mean, time has really flown by. I am now married and pregnant. And when I spoke to him, I was neither of those things. So now I'm speaking to him from such a different perspective. And I went back, I actually re-listened to the first episode that I interviewed him on. And even just my understanding, my questions, the things he was saying, they just resonate so differently now that I'm actually going through a pregnancy. And now that I'm in my third trimester, have just been going through so much. So I just, I'm listening to him and understanding his tips and advice and all of his wisdom from such a different perspective. So if you have not yet listened to the first episode that Dr. Berlin was on, I highly recommend you go back, listen to that, and then come listen to this one because in the first uh, the first podcast I interviewed him on, we talk about his story, how he got into uh, becoming a doula, how he got into prenatal chiropractic work, you know, his fertility journey with his wife, you know, they had um, some struggles that they they overcame. We talked about natural fertility boosters and stress and, you know, really the importance of, you know, getting rid of stress before trying to conceive. Uh, we talked about, uh, he actually had Amy Schumer on his podcast. We talked about her pregnancy uh, and, and you know, we talked about eating your placenta in that episode and his thoughts on that. So go back, listen to that episode. It has a lot of good gems in it, a lot of great advice. And again, that gives like his story and his background. And then this episode we talk about the importance of seeing a prenatal chiropractor in pregnancy, the best sleeping positions for pregnant women, because let me tell you, sleeping during pregnancy is so difficult and can be so uncomfortable and is really a challenge. So I really wanted to talk about sleeping in the best positions with him choosing the right providers and how important that is, the secrets to having an unmedicated birth, tips for heartburn in pregnancy. He has a ton of tips for that. Uh, the different kinds of support you need during each trimester, what trimester to even start going to a prenatal chiropractor. Like, should you go in your first? Should you go towards the end? We really dive deep into all of that. He has so much wisdom let me tell you a little bit more about Dr. Elliot Berlin, just so you, you know, kind of have a background on him. If you're not going to listen to the first episode, um, I'll tell you now. So Dr. Elliot Berlin, he is a Los Angeles chiropractor, but he specializes in pregnancy and postnatal care. And he has extensive experience in the care of women during and after pregnancy and he's dedicated to helping new and expectant mothers achieve optimal health and comfort during this time. Dr. Berlin utilizes a unique variety of techniques and specialized equipment and is really committed to providing the highest quality care to his pregnant patients or, you know, postpartum when they're not pregnant anymore. And in addition to his chiropractic practice, Dr. Berlin is the founder of the Informed Pregnancy Project, which includes the very popular Informed Preg Pregnancy podcast, Informed Pregnancy blog, and his new streaming service, Informed Pregnancy Plus. Um, I'm going to link all of his resources in the show notes just so that you can follow him and follow along with his podcast. He, you know, his podcast is really unique because he interviews people before their birth and understands uh, women's birth 
plans, their birth preferences, their dreams, their goals, their visions for their birth, how their pregnancy is going. And then he actually, after their birth, interviews them and, you know, he sees how it went. Did the birth plan go according to plan? Did, you know, did they have the the pregnancy and the birth that they, that they wanted? I think it's really interesting to hear both of those perspectives. And he is, you know, he works with a lot of celebrities and works with a lot of high profile clients, which he interviews on his podcast as well. So, so yeah, I'm super, super excited for this episode. And I'm actually going to be on his podcast before and after my birth. So make sure to tune into those. I'll make sure to post those so that you guys know when to listen. But without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Elliot Berlin to the podcast. Hi, Dr. Berlin. Welcome back to the Healthy Girl podcast. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you for having me again. I know. I'm so excited because I'm pregnant this time that we're talking. Last time when we spoke in 2020, I was not pregnant. I wasn't even married yet. So now I feel like I have a different perspective on everything you're going to be talking about because I'm going through it myself. I cannot even imagine what will happen next time I come on your podcast. I know. Maybe I'll have like a couple (laughs) kids at that point. (laughs) No, so much has changed for you. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk about chiropractic work and pregnancy, uh, everything that you do best. I think now being pregnant, I understand the importance of prenatal care just beyond going to your OB. There's so much that you can do to help you have an easier pregnancy, a healthier pregnancy. For me, I've been experiencing actually a lot of pain and discomfort and like my back, my pelvis sleeping has been really hard. So I myself have been going to a prenatal chiropractor. I've been getting physical therapy, which I never thought that I would need to. I just thought, I don't know. I knew pregnancy was hard, but now that I'm actually in it, I, I really, I know how much women go through and how, how hard it actually is. There's a lot of changes that the body goes through. Um, but I first want to ask you being a prenatal chiropractor, what do you think is the biggest difference between women who receive prenatal chiropractic care and women who don't? Well, I think that by the time people get to pregnancy, they've been through a lot in life. And uh, you sometimes have things that you bring into your pregnancy with you that are not caused by pregnancy, but maybe just highlighted by pregnancy. So an analogy might be if you have micro cuts on your skin that don't bother you at all, and then you jump into salt water, you feel a lot of discomfort, but it's not really the salt water that's causing the issue. It's just highlighting the issue. And I think for a lot of people, that's what happens during pregnancy. I mean, you, uh, if you're experiencing pain and discomfort, um, you're going into pregnancy with an advantage over a lot of people in the sense that you go in, um, having led a healthy lifestyle, having fed your body really good nutritional building blocks and also being, um, fit, uh, healthy weight, not having diabetes or hypertension or some of the other things that people go in with. So, you know, you can imagine that people who don't have that going in, don't have that advantage, probably are more prone to experiencing less comfortable pregnancies than you are. Um, But I think one of the big things is you bring in stuff with you, uh, whether it's old injuries or just micro traumas or things that have happened in your life that your body can cover when you're not pregnant. But as soon as the hormonal changes start to take place, even just very early on when you start to make relaxation hormones so that the ligaments that hold things together become a little bit looser, which will help with the growth of pregnancy, help you change shape and accommodate the growth of pregnancy and certainly birth, um, that little bit of loosening and loss of stability will highlight some of the things that are imbalanced, either from right to left or front to back, that your body can hold together and you don't feel anything when you're not pregnant, and then all of a sudden that loosening happens and you start to feel the imbalance, and then everything on top of that happens. You gain the weight, you start to sleep in different positions, um, and and all the center of gravity changes will start to affect you, and uh, and you, you feel the discomforts that, that 
may have been there, but you didn't feel before. So is there anything that women can do before they get pregnant to prevent pain? Like are there exercise? Let's say someone's trying to conceive or know they're wanting to have kids soon. What can they do before they get pregnant? That'll That's a great of- question. I, I see musculoskeletal health really in terms of the things that are done for you as as two parts of an equation. On one side, you have duct tape, and on the other side, you have WD-40. I am WD-40. I look at the musculoskeletal system, and I look and see where things are too stiff, too tight, too restricted, uh, either in the bones, the skeletal system, where the bones come together and form joints, and maybe you've lost some of the motion between bones around their joints, or in the skeletal part, of, in the muscular part of that system, the soft tissues, the muscles and the tendons, where they're unhappy, they become dysfunctionally shorter, stiff, tight. And so the remedy for that soft tissue is massaging it out, stretching it out. Um, Some of that we do for you and some of those things you can do at home with a good stretching routine or yoga. And in the bones, it's chiropractic adjustments. We restore motion that's lost between bones around a joint. That's all WD-40. That's all taking things that are too stiff and loosening them up. On the other side of the coin is the duct tape, you know, finding your imbalances, finding where things are weak or unstable and bringing strength and stability to those areas. Generally, that's more through exercises and the very specific ones through physical therapy or on a more broad scale, working out either uh, on your own or with a trainer. And when you have both, when you have good strength and stability and also flexibility and functional movement, you go into pregnancy with a huge advantage. So it sounds like overall just making sure when you're trying to conceive or wanting to get pregnant that you start to live an active lifestyle. Maybe you're doing yoga, maybe you're walking, maybe you're doing some strength training just to kind of get your body strong and in an optimal state for carrying a baby. Yeah, all those things are huge, but then also looking at balance, you know, kind of doing a a check-in with your body to see when you're younger and you're snowboarding and doing all these fun active things, playing tennis, um, you, you can handle a lot, but it does create some, some wear and tear and to kind of go in and do some maintenance before you get pregnant. If you have the luxury of knowing is, is awesome. And, and especially in the core area, like those deep muscles, uh, against your, the front of your spine that are deep in the belly, those can sometimes create a lot of trouble during a pregnancy if they're too stiff, tight, and rigid, but there's not much you can do about it during the pregnancy because there's a, a little passenger in there. So what month should women start going to a chiropractor during their pregnancy? Like I know there's some chiropractic practitioners who don't want to see you in your first trimester just because of that risk and they want to see you starting in the second or like what, what's your take on that? Yeah, so if uh, if you're feeling great and you're nervous about doing anything during the first trimester, I mean, that is the definite in-the-woods part of the pregnancy. Your body's trying to figure it all out. Is this uh, pregnancy sustainable? Is this compatible with life? Is it a healthy pregnancy? And if it is, your body will want to nurture it and maintain it and give it everything it can to thrive and grow. And if not, your body will, should, reject it and uh, start again. So during that time period, there's a catch-22. You're sort of in the woods. Um, People don't really talk about miscarriage that often, but it's fairly common during that time. And because nobody really talks about miscarriage enough, if it happens to somebody even early on, it can be quite devastating. And there's a lot of self-guilt, self-shaming. And you start to wonder, is it something I did? Is it something I ate? Is it a way I moved? Is it something, you know, is it the fact that I went, you know, and got some sort of treatment? And so for that reason, I think people are quite nervous to do it, um, both people who are newly pregnant and practitioners worried about their liability. But I, I think that the medical risk is extremely low. It's someone that, you know, there's also medical benefit. So that's the most formative time for the new baby and all the systems are developing and during that time to have increased blood flow and lymphatic flow and relaxation of the mom's central nervous system are all quite beneficial so 
we do work during the first trimester, but we have this exact talk with all patients during the first trimester. Do you want to or don't you want to is totally up to you. Certainly, if somebody's like very uncomfortable, then we would do work. And it's with modification. We, we do modifications for the first trimester, more gentle. We avoid certain points. It just depends on the person probably and what they're comfortable with. But you, you see women in their first trimester. Yeah, we do a lot of fertility work. So, uh, we, we, you know, we get to see people very, very early on in the pregnancy. Um, and they, they're already coming to see us. So they're comfortable and they know what we do. It's not a brand new thing for them. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's totally a personal choice. What can you kind of go through the benefits of getting your body work done? Like maybe, maybe, the difference between the benefits in body work in the second trimester maybe versus the third trimester? Yeah, the second trimester is, you know, people come in for different reasons. Sometimes it's just health and wellness. You feel great. You feel fine, and you want to keep feeling that way as your body grows and has to accommodate the later stages of pregnancy. Uh, But also some of the symptoms start to kick in. And so some of the more common symptoms that will kick in in the second trimester could be sciatica or sacroiliac stuff, pain in the lower low back or upper glute. Um, and sometimes it's kind of interesting. There's a couple of conditions that get better during pregnancy for people who struggle with them when they're not pregnant. And at the same time, some conditions that those same conditions that people don't have not pregnant that will start to kick in. One of them is headaches. You have some people who have played with headaches on a regular basis, not pregnant, and then all of a sudden they get pregnant and the headaches are gone. You know, and that's sort of, a lot of that has to do with the tightness, the abnormal tightness that's always there. And then those pregnancy hormones kick in and they let go for a little bit. And it's like, wow, that's the relief I've been looking for. Um, And then other people who don't normally have headaches might start to get headaches from other causes. You know, in the first trimester, dehydration is a big cause for people who are just not able to drink that much if they don't feel great and uh, or maybe they're throwing up and getting rid of fluid that they can't replace well Um, and that dehydration can cause headaches for them Uh, another one that's like that is sort of wrist discomfort people who struggle with carpal tunnel when they're not pregnant and then all of a sudden during the pregnancy it'll swap so if they don't have it beforehand they'll get it during pregnancy, and it may not actually be carpal tunnel, it may just feel like carpal tunnel. Sometimes that nerve is not even being compressed in the wrist or hand, but in the neck um, from the changes in how you're sleeping. And other people who struggle with carpal tunnel all the time, it'll go away during the pregnancy for the same reason those relaxation hormones will kick in. But those are some of the common things that come up during the second trimester. Rib compression, um, if you're starting to if you're starting to, especially if you sit a lot and you don't have a lot of space in your torso, then as you grow in the pregnancy and, and the uterus starts to come up higher underneath the rib cage, uh, the compression of the ribs can become a real significant thing, especially even if there's just a little curve in the spine, like a small, slight scoliosis, that'll compress one side a lot more than the other side. And, and there's a little nerve that runs between each of the of the ribs, every two ribs. And when that intercostal nerve gets compressed, it can be really uncomfortable. That's another thing that comes up during pregnancy, uh, the second trimester. And also hip pain, especially for people not used to sleeping on the side. Um, if now you are sleeping on the side, or even if you are a side sleeper with the extra weight. And if you listen to that old advice to just sleep on one side the whole pregnancy, that can be really uncomfortable on that left side. Um, especially the bony part of the hip that's uh, against the surface of the bed. Right. So massaging those out and making sure that the bones around them move really well can be very comforting for all of those things. In the third trimester, it tends to be, you know, especially after like 32 weeks, it's just a, a, a lot of general discomfort and nothing feels great. You're moving slower, you're heavier, the fluids are starting to overwhelm the capacity so they start to settle in the gravitational low points like the hands and the feet they're swelling Um, and uh, it's just that especially for smaller people and if you take somebody who's 100 pounds and they gain 20 pounds it's it's uh, 
a 20% increase. If you take somebody who's 200 pounds and they gain 20 pounds, it's only a 10% increase. So um, it's, you know, it, it affects everybody in different ways, but towards the end, it's just all of the movements become more difficult. You lose some of your strength, some of your stability. Um, exercising can become harder. And so there's a lot more um, that we can do to improve circulation, to loosen up the things that are getting too tight, to strengthen up the things that are getting too weak. And also to start at that point preparing for birth, especially if someone's planning a vaginal birth. And what are some of those things that you do to help a woman prepare for a vaginal birth? So, you know, one thing is positioning. Uh, a lot of people come in for help with the positioning. Uh, in order to be in an ideal position for birth, vaginally, the baby would be head down and the back of the skull, the occiput, the hard part of the baby will be against uh, mom's belly instead of against her spine, bone on bone. Not a great feeling towards the end of pregnancy and certainly not during birth. Uh, and our premise is that babies want to get into that position on their own. And that's largely because they do, meaning at 28 weeks, statistically into a first pregnancy, about 50% of babies are breech. But only four weeks later, at 32 weeks, only 10% are not head down yet. And then at birth, about 3 to 4%. So as they run out of space, they tend to go head down. And most of them, either right before labor or during the early stages of labor, will turn into that anterior position where the back of their skull, that hard part, is against the anterior or front surface of the mom's body. So if they don't go there, there's usually a reason, and it could be structural things. It could be how the placenta is, how the cord is. It can be the fluid. It could be the shape of the uterus might be a little variant, but it could also be functional. If everything is super stiff, tight, and rigid, then it's not going to really accommodate the movements of the baby the same way. It will resist some of the baby's movements. And uh, it should be very accommodating. The pelvis is not one big bone. It's a whole bunch of bones connected by soft tissue, like ligaments and cartilage. So it really should be able to expand and contract and not just even accommodate, but also facilitate the movements of the baby into the ideal position for both of you. Um, and if it can, if it's just too stiff, tight, and rigid, then you sometimes have a baby that gets either stuck in a head-up position or kind of gets pushed through the pelvis in the unideal posterior position. And do you think it's a new concept that, you know, the body can be worked on and manipulated in a certain way and adjusted in order to get the baby into the optimal position? Because I feel like the way, you know, maybe like grandparents or, uh, you know, my mom, my mother-in-law, the way they talk about, you know, how their baby was positioned at birth, like they didn't really, they didn't go to chiropractors. They didn't really do anything to change it. Where these days I hear, you know, women are getting their babies flipped around and they're going to the chiropractor. So do you think that's like a newer idea? I think, yeah, in the 1970s, um, you know, there was a lot of ex experimentation and exploration of not just can you do chiropractic on a pregnant person, but how can you use chiropractic to facilitate the pregnancy? That was a big change in mindset. And again, we don't do anything manual to a baby. We don't try to move a baby or turn a baby. We're just doing something manual to the baby's environment, which is the mother's body. And we're looking to improve the function of her body. And as a secondary benefit, the baby has more functional space to move around in and uh, to be able to get into the more ideal positions and to also, during birth itself, be able to move through the pelvis and come out the other side without a lot of resistance. But I do think it's been sort of in development since the 1970s, maybe earlier, but that's when I, I became aware of it meaning the origins of it, uh, through the work of Dr. Larry Webster and some other chiropractors at the time and other body workers in general. Um, and the idea that, you know, the baby has to be in a great position also changed in the 1970s because we don't really do vaginal breach delivery anymore. And so it used to be that if your baby was breech, you still had a lot of choices in how to deliver, but nowadays we don't. So there's a lot more pressure on trying to get a baby into an ideal position for somebody who wants a vaginal birth. 
Um, and just even in my 20 years of doing what I do, we've gone through a phase where people are just afraid to work on pregnant women. Um, it's just liability, and you're looked at as very fragile. And um, so even in my profession, I have I have patients that come to me from their chiropractors while they're pregnant, and then afterwards they go back to their regular chiropractor. So it is a shift that's starting to happen, and uh, hopefully it'll grow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I I feel like for me, I mean, all, all the symptoms that you were mentioning and all the things that can go on, you know, second, third trimester, they're all happening to me. I feel like I'm just one of those people who you know, I'm having kind of a textbook pregnancy in that I have all the apps that tell you the symptoms you should expect every week. And every week it's like to the dot, they're like, you might start to experience heartburn and this and that. And I'm like, yep, all those things are starting. So I definitely, I've experienced all the things that you're saying. And I think also what I didn't expect is when you're sleeping, all of the problems that happen at night, because I'll be pretty good during the day. And then sleeping just creates and manifests all of these issues. One, like you were saying, being hip pain just from, you know, being stuck to sleeping on your side. And, you know, as you said, maybe it's all that weight and, and just kind of laying there all night in one position, even if I'm switching from left to right, it still creates that hip pain. And then, uh, secondly, which I wanted to talk about a little bit is heartburn and how chiropractic can actually help that a lot. I think, was it Chrissy Teigen who posted you? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I woke up one morning to a phone call from my mom, uh, who was sort of reached out to by her hairdresser. And she's like, what is this picture? Uh, so, what Chrissy posted was a picture of herself with nothing but a piece of tape uh, underneath her rib cage. Um, and that's something that I do for heartburn. But there's a lot of reason for heartburn during pregnancy. One of them is the pressure, especially in the moving from the second to the third trimester and beyond. The pressure of the baby and its contents pushing up underneath your diaphragm and kind of pushing the more acidic part of the esophagus up higher than it normally is. And so with chiropractic, you know, I should say also that my approach is a mixture of massage therapy and chiropractic. I fell in love with the combination of two together when I was studying alternative healthcare, and I went to the school separately for both of them and smushed them together. And so both have a role here. You know, if the nerves, the digestive nerves are irritated, then you're going to feel irritable digestion and the bones that can sometimes cause that irritation when they're restricted, you can adjust them and take pressure off the nerve that way. More mechanically with massage, we kind of move into that area under the diaphragm and try to loosen up some space and distract the esophagus down a little bit lower so it's not so high up that acid's not up in your chest and in your throat. And um, then that little piece of tape is something I started doing a couple years ago It's just a piece of kinesio tape, and we use it to just create a little bit of distraction and and tension release so that the acid and and other fluids have more room to move around underneath. And for some people, each one of those things, the chiropractic approach, the massage approach, or the taping, uh, can make a big difference. Sometimes it's two or three together, and sometimes they don't help at all. But I would say at least 50% of the people get a substantial improvement at least for a few days when we do those things. I think that's so cool because, again, I, you know, my OB is great. But when I like told her about my heartburn, she's just like, yeah, take, you know, a Tums or whenever you feel it or, you know, take what's whatever that other Prilosec or something, that other uh-huh. uh heartburn medication. And I'm like, there's got to be something else that I can do other than just taking a medication. And, um, I, I started sleeping with a pillow, not just under my head, but also under my ribs, like a Tempur-Pedic pillow under my ribs to cut so that they weren't being crushed. And that's really helped. But also again, after seeing prenatal chiropractor, getting physical therapy and doing exercises that they told me to do, my heartburn's been almost non-existent while sleeping. While a couple weeks ago, I would wake up literally in the worst pain um, in my chest just from 
you know, I tried everything, eating super early, propping myself up, um, and the body work has really helped to prevent that heartburn. Oh, I'm glad you found it. I mean, it's it I, just hearing it and seeing it and people look so uncomfortable on top of everything else that's going on. And, um, you know, when it affects your sleep, it just really crushes your health overall if you can't get good sleep. So I'm glad you found remedies that work for you. Thank you. And in terms of sleep, what do you think is the best position? Is there like a pillow situation you were, you would recommend? Maybe there's a specific type of pillow. No, pregnancy is all about the pillows. So many pillows. Um, I think that some of the, the commercial pregnancy pillows on the market are great and certain ones work better for certain people. And even just conceptually, some people like one big giant pillow and some people like a bunch of smaller pillows that you can sort of adjust and maneuver individually. Um, you got to find what's right for you. But what I, I would say overall is supporting the things that are not supported well. Um, just like you found putting a pillow underneath your side or your rib cage. Some people uh, put like a little wedge underneath their belly so it's supported and not pulling on your lower back. That's a, a life changer is having that wedge pillow because my stomach feels like a watermelon is just attached to it. <laughs> so having that little lift under the belly has really helped. Yeah, it's, it, it, it doesn't pull, you know, all night. Uh, like you said, nighttime things sort of creep up because there's not so much movement. You're active. So during the day, everything's moving. The fluids are moving. Your, your blood flows circulating right. while the lymphatics are clearing. And then at nighttime, it all just pulls into one place. And having support so it can naturally move, even though you're not moving, is, is really key. Um, but the other thing is, you know, I always say check with your obstetric provider, but uh, what I see is when people are laying on their left side the whole pregnancy, they just end up so miserable and physically and emotionally. Sometimes they'll go to sleep on their side, wake up on their back and panic. And it's like, okay, your body put you on your back. You know, it's, you don't have to panic about it. Um, and the concern really is of sleeping on your back or the right side is the blood vessels, the vena cava that bring blood from your legs back up to your heart they can be compressed by the weight of the pregnancy. And if they are compressed, your overall blood flow can decrease. However, if that happens very quickly, you will start to feel lightheaded, nauseous, dizzy, sweaty. It's very palpable, even when you're sleeping. Like if you wake up when you have to pee, you're also gonna wake up when all these other things are happening. And so generally speaking, I see more and more doctors and certainly midwives saying right side and left side are both fine. On your back after 20 weeks, they usually recommend not sleeping on your back flat, but you could sleep in a semi-reclining position. So either put a wedge behind you, or if you have a bed that kind of uh, elevates, just elevating the backrest area of it. And by having positions that you can alternate from, and not just being in one position all night, that's going to be the best way to not let any one area of your body take all of the brunt of pregnancy sleep. And when it's balanced out like that, you end up being comfortable through the end. I think that's really important. You said that is finding a couple alternate positions that you know are going to be comfortable. It sounds minor, but I'm telling you, I, again, sleep has been so painful that just figuring out three great positions I can be in has really been helpful. I got this wedge pillow so that, as you said, I can be on my back, but I'm elevated. Um, and that's that's been a game changer and just allows for even a couple extra hours of sleep because I can, you know, once one position starts hurting, I can then move to a different position and be there for a couple hours without feeling pain. So I completely agree with what you're saying. Sweet. And then I want to talk a little bit about what are some things women can do to prepare for birth that would make the birth more healthy and successful? Because if people don't know, you're also a trained doula. Mm -hmm. I'm a doula and a birth body worker. I've been to a lot of birth. Um, you know, I, I think one of the most important things is to, some people love to plan every detail. Some people love to have every detail taken care of by somebody else. And then there's everything in between. Um, and providers are, tend to fall into a category. They're not so chameleon-like where they're, where any of us are good for everybody. We're good for some, great for some people, good for some people, and probably not a great match for other people. And if you have the sense that you're with a provider who's not a great match for you, 
I think one of the healthiest things you can do is switch, try to find a provider who is a good match for you. And it doesn't mean anything bad about the provider who wasn't a good match for you. It just means you're not a good match for each other. Sometimes that happens with dating. You'll go on a date and you'll be like, you're terrible for me, but my friend. Uh, so it's the same way with providers, but there's a big spectrum. And for the people who want absolutely no decision-making, you're going to be great with a more paternalistic provider who just does everything for you, makes all the decisions for you, tells you what to do and when to do it. And if you love that, you're going to be great with them. But if you're the kind of person who wants to be more involved and be an active decision-maker in the many choices that are going to come up, then you need a provider who's more open and flexible to that, who's going to spend the time sitting with you talking about what sort of options you have and the pros and cons of those different choices, and to have your voice sort of be the one in the driver's seat. Um, and and that's kind of the way I think it should be, where all of your providers around you are, are supporting whatever choices you make. In terms of uh, how to get a, a baby into the world, you know, you you ideally start with a healthy person who's pregnant and a healthy baby inside them. And that's the starting point. And the destination is a healthy person who's no longer pregnant and a healthy baby on the outside. And there's a million ways to get from point A to point B. Um, if I was driving from, let's say, Florida to California, there's a gazillion routes I could take. Um, and maybe I want to be a a decision maker in which route I take. Maybe things are important to me. Do I want to take the fastest route? Do I want to take the most scenic route? Um, and that can happen in pregnancy too. Now, once I'm once I'm on the way, once I start my journey, if I hit a roadblock, I'm going to take a detour and I'm still going to get to the same destination. And all of that I think is very important for a mentally healthy birth experience and a physically healthy birth experience. But, um, you know, it, do you want to have your baby uh, at home, in a birth center, at a hospital, in a strawberry field? It's totally up to you. Do you want to have Strawberry there? field for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Total nutrition all around you. Um, do you want to have a provider there? If so, is it more of a, a, a midwific provider who's a trained obstetric provider, but on the much more natural side? Um, or do you want to have a medical doctor there? Do you want to have both? Do you want to have support people like doulas there um, or other family who could act like doulas there? Uh, there's a lot of different choices. And even, you know, let's say you are in the hospital with, uh, and, and I don't know how it is in Florida, but in California, you have every option. We have obstetricians that deliver at home. We have midwives that deliver at hospitals. Um, it's not, the choices are not so so black and white as they used to be. And even let's say you're in the hospital, do you want to stay home for a while before you go to the hospital? Um, do you want to have a, a, a medicated birth at the hospital or an unmedicated birth or a lightly medicated birth? Do you want to wait before medicating? Do you want to have a cesarean birth? There's there's a lot of different choices. And if you don't explore them, you have no say in what's how it's going to go down. If you do explore them, you can craft a vision uh, a list of intentions of like all things being equal. If I get to choose, this is how I'd like my birth to go. But, uh, you know, once it starts, you're not steering a, a precision car. It's more like a hot air balloon. And sometimes it will be a gust this way or that way, things you can't control. And then you have, uh, to me, the birth plan is a flow chart. On page one is the most natural birth you might want to experience that you're curious about. And um, page two, three, and four are different things that you might have to do if something comes up. You know, and sometimes it's right out of the gate and baby's not in a good position or there's something happens, there's preeclampsia or cholestasis or things that sort of need need intervention early on. And sometimes your plan just goes swimmingly and according to plan. But I think thinking through some of the options, seeing what birth could be like, making some choices for how you'd like it to go, and then surrounding yourself with providers who are on the same page with you and who make you feel very calm and very relaxed and very supported are, are some of the most healthy things you can do for a great birth. And that's, that's really what I've been trying to do is just educate myself as much as possible, just so that I can make informed decisions. And I'm not just blindly following along with everything everyone tells me as, you know, I'm giving birth in the hospital. Obviously the hospital has a certain procedure protocol, things that they just do for every single birth, but I want to make sure 
I understand what they're doing to me and why and things that are optional, things that I can request, ask for, and know how I can kind of craft my birth, as you said, and and make things custom to my needs and my wants and how I envision birth to go. So I agree. I think the best thing you can do is just educate yourself before you give birth so you know exactly, you know, how ideally you would like things to go. And, you know, as you said, things can change and, you know, might might not go according 100 percent to plan, but you can at least educate yourself on on the options. Yeah. And and uh, right. Just don't get too rigid on things so that if it doesn't go how you would have wanted it to go, ideally, then you're not too devastated about it. But the other really important thing is the providers because you want a provider who gets you, understands you, is on the same page as you. And if they're pushing you, if they're recommending strongly interventions that they know you don't really want, that you know that they know that you don't really want that, but they're suggesting it anyway because they think it's necessary for your health or your baby's health. Um, you don't want to really be in a, in a situation where you're questioning that on, on the spot. That that can become um, not only very uncomfortable, but dangerous. And so that's why I think the right providers are uh, really key for a great experience. So you've, you've attended a lot of home births. You have witnessed a lot of births that are completely unmedicated. So what advice do you have to women who want to have unmedicated births? Um, I think that un- unmedicated birth is never happens. Um, it's whether you're self-medicating from the inside or you're getting medicated from the outside. Um, for someone who really wants to have an unmedicated birth, I think it's important to work on your mind and your ability to focus and your ability to sort of shut down the neocortex, the part of your mind that's always uber analytical. Uh, other animals don't have that. One of the most beautiful things is to watch animals give birth in nature. You know, there's a couple of great elephant births, for example, where you see her kind of move away from the pack. She does it on her own. There's no midwife, no partner, no doctor, no nurses. Um, and she just looks very confident. It's an intense moment, but it's confident. And they don't look fearful. And they get into these different positions where they're moving around, just naturally reacting to the sensations within them and around them. And they deliver their baby, and then they turn around and they start doing all the neonatal care. They use their little trunk to assess what's going on, and is the baby breathing? And if they're not, there's one where the baby isn't. And uh, the mom starts to then get kind of anxious. You see that she's anxious, and she tries all these remedies to fix the problem. They, she sort of like lightly kicks the baby, kind of the equivalent of how we would, you know, maybe scratch their foot or, or slap them in the bum lightly. Um, and then that doesn't work. And eventually she does this maneuver where she wraps her trunk around the baby's tiny little trunk, lifts up the head and gives a little yank. You almost hear the chiropractic adjustment that happens there. And then the baby starts breathing. And it's like, wait a second. How does this mom who never listened to a podcast, read a book, took a class, how does she know how to deliver her baby in peace and with confidence and then turn around and start doing all the neonatal care? How does she even know that the baby's not breathing and that that's a problem and that there are things you have to do to try to get the baby to breathe? It's all hardwired in you. And every woman has that hardwired inside you. But there's so much noise and clutter for various reasons. One of them is our conscious mind is just hyper-analytical. They don't have that, which in some ways is helpful for them, in some ways harmful for them, but they're not always thinking, okay, what is this? How, how much longer is this going to be? How much worse is this going to get? Am I going to be able, I could take it now, but am I going to be able to take it if it gets worse? They don't have that. They just are in the moment. And so with meditation and other exercises that you could do, mind exercises, to be able to kind of quiet down that conscious neocortex and kind of settle back into the older part of the brain that has all of this hardwired inside you. I mean, if you think about it, if your body took a sperm and an egg and just two cells and made a a whole human being out of it, you don't have to think about where do the eyes go, where the nose go. It's just all hardwired. It's all on autopilot. And so one of the biggest things is just getting out of the way, calming down, feeling that intensity. And childbirth is intense. There's a few things. Number one, 
Most women have no exposure to childbirth today in modern America. Uh, it wasn't always like that. Just a hundred plus years ago, you were living on a family property in the village and you saw all your relatives pregnant, giving birth, breastfeeding, and they were there to support you and you were there to support them during that time. We don't have that so much anymore. So we have all these professions that came up like doula, childbirth educator, lactation consultant, baby nurse. Um, that was all built in. But as a result, you're also not exposed to those things. So they're somewhat foreign. And maybe the exposure that most people have is what they see on TV and in movies and read in newspaper headlines. And that is not a great representation of reality of birth. And the worst is you just hear people in their, their horrible stories they love to tell about their experiences. So if you were the age you are now and had never been in an airplane and you're about to take your first you're about to take your first big flight, but all you know about airplanes is what you see in TV and movies or hear from people's horrible stories or read in newspapers, you'd be terrified to get into an airplane. And I think that's how most people end up going into birth. The assumption is you can't do this, we have to do it for you. Um, but there's a lot of different ways you can prepare and really start to learn and understand what your body does hormonally to medicate you and how you can kind of surrender into the early intensity and allow those endorphins and encephalins and oxytocin, which is the love bonding and orgasm hormone that's going to flow through your body in uh, higher quantities than any other time in your life and, um, how they act on your brain and your body and how they act on your baby's brain and body and just tap into that. What are your views on hypnobirthing? Because I am taking hypnobirthing classes right now. Are you a meditator in general? Um, I'm, I'm like, not really. I, I should be. I'm just so mm. busy. But for this, I, I've heard such great things. And I'm, I'm someone who needs to learn tools for relaxation and focusing because I'm always just on the go. I'm super ADD. My mind's always in a million places. So for me, I knew that for my birth, I needed tools to relax my mind. So it's amazing that, you know, you, you're so successful in what you do and you've impacted so many people in such an incredible way with the work that you do. And it's probably somewhat a manifestation of your ADD, right? There's upsides to it and downsides to it. But um, so you're probably always like thinking of new projects and new ways that you can be helpful and um, provide things that will help us, your audience. But um, the downside to that is it's hard to like clear your mind. It's always running. And so when you, I know how healthy your lifestyle is, but you don't meditate. That's very common among people who are healthy but ADD. Um, you don't meditate because it's hard for you because your mind wants to run in a million different directions. Right. And the whole point of meditation is to say, okay, we're going to stop all that <laughs> and focus on one thing or nothing at all. And um, it's hard. But I will say this, no matter how busy you are, you productivity will always go up with a good meditation practice. Right. If you can reset and, and I'm not good at it either. I'm like you, I'm also ADD. So, um, oftentimes when I come home from work and work for me has also so many different manifests, just different things that I'm doing every day. I wear a lot of different hats. I come home from work. I'll park my car in the driveway and meditate for three minutes before I go inside, put all that behind I me like and that. clear space in my mind for family now, for my wife, for my kids, for all the things that I want to experience with them. Um, I think it's incredibly helpful for childbirth because, again, your mind is the one that runs all over the place. And to have something that you can focus on to put that aside, shut that part of your mind down, and let the older part take over and just step out of the way. You know, in our podcast, we have a really cool interview, I think, with Hilary Duff. Um, both her, she was terrified of childbirth and wanted to have a C-section. It was her psychic who said, maybe you should just let the baby choose how he wants to come out of you. And then she rethought it and said, I'm going to do a vaginal birth and did a, a fully medicated hospital vaginal birth and had a great experience. But five years later, pregnant with her second, she realized that over those five years, the moments in life that were most meaningful to her were when she was present with her son. The more present, the more meaningful. And it could be mundane things like making dinner. Or doing homework and it could be really exciting milestone things or like going to a concert things like that 
it didn't matter as long as she was pregnant it, <laughs> as long as she was present that's what was important to her um and so as she was getting ready to deliver her second she thought to herself what if childbirth is the most insanely cool giant milestone thing that i could do with my child but instead of being present because i'm afraid of it i fear the pain i fear the intensity i fear the having to give up the control this may be a Danielle thing, having to give up the control. Um, I'm, I'm afraid of it. So I'm, I'm deliberately numbing myself to the entire process. And she said, I want to feel it. I want to see what that is like. Uh, and in her case, she was concerned that if she did it at the hospital unmedicated, then she might fold and give in, you know, when they come knocking on the door, Hey, you want the epidural now? Um, so she made plans to do it at home. And I interview her 10 days before and 10 days after that home birth. And she had, spoiler alert, she had a great experience. But it's really interesting to hear from somebody who went from being terrified of birth and just wanting a, a C-section, somebody can do it for me, uh, to doing a vaginal birth with drugs and having great experience and a vaginal birth with no drugs and having great experience. She really talks about both the mind and body elements that... Uh, in the before and after format, you know, you can see what where her fears were and what she thought would be helpful to her before she gave birth, and then right afterwards, how she overcame those fears and what was actually helpful to her on the other side. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I feel like everything I've been learning and hearing, even in hypnobirthing classes, is it's really your mindset. And at the end of the day, like both being prepared in advance, you know, kind of training your mind, doing meditations before I'm supposed to be doing this hypnobirthing meditation every night or at least multiple days a week to kind of train myself on how to get into a relaxed state super quickly. But also, you know, the stories I'm starting to hear from women who, you know, whether they're, uh, you know, getting an epidural or they're not, your mindset really does control everything. So I think it sounds like Hillary prepared herself mentally best she could for giving birth at home and it ended up being a great experience she prepared herself mentally and physically and she also put a lot of effort into surrounding herself with people that she felt were the right match she went through you know it was almost like goldilocks was with her looking for her midwife uh, this one's way too medical this one's way too crunchy granola and then she found the one that was just right for her and and it worked out really well that episode is on your podcast. So if you want to hear more about Hillary Duff's birth experience, you have all of that on your podcast, yes. um, which I've listened to great, great episodes. She's, I mean, just a side note, Hillary, I used to be obsessed with her. Like she was my icon as a little kid. We had this project in second grade and we were asked who we would want to be president if we could choose. And I was like, Hillary Duff. And I still I have want it. Hillary Duff to be president. <laughs> Oh, for sure. Let's, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone's writing these like historical figures and, and, you know, <laughs> noteworthy people. And I'm like, oh, Hillary Duff should for sure be the president. So <laughs> that's really funny. Um, what, what has been one of the most memorable, memorable births that you've been at? I mean, my own births are the, by far the most memorable, every single one of them. You know, I was just having this talk with my daughter the other day, who's 16 now. Um, she's my second oldest. And she was like, you know, she made a joke. Like, you love me the most, right? And then I was like, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, we it turned into a little talk about how she came to the realization that there must be some things that you love about each of us the most and some days that you love each of us the most. But at the end of the day, you love them all equally, but different. And, um, our births were like that too. Um, the first birth was of our oldest was my wife did them all unmedicated from the outside. So just her natural drugs. The first one was 42 hours long. And it was completely unmedicated except for 400 milligrams of Advil, which I kept taking every four hours for my crazy headache. Uh, and I, I was like, baby, you have no idea how painful this is. Um, she's amazing. And she, with the help of our providers, our doula in particular, was incredible. Um, she 
didn't want to have medication from the outside. It was a long, long process. I mean, you just don't even realize it's like being in a casino that the time, you know, a whole day went by and now it's almost another day. And uh, the progress was very slow, but steady. And, um, like at the end of it, when, when our little guy came out, it was just like all the emotions in the world. Um, and each, each birth was just different. Our second one was just over two hours and we still did hospital, but we were only there for like 18 minutes before the baby came out. So oh my that God. was its own kind of experience. Um, third was a hospital birth, but a little bit longer. And the fourth was a home birth in the bathtub. And, uh, that was only 90 minutes start to finish, uh, and the incredible moment where, because the baby comes out in water, they're not, they're not breathing yet. Their lungs are still fluid. Uh, my wife was able to bring the baby up just right to the surface and then bring him through to the other side. And you could see that first breath clear as day. And that was just incredible and mind blowing. Um, so I, for, for me, for sure, I mean, I'm biased, but our own births were, were the most amazing things, times of my life, things that I've ever attended. Um, every birth is, is so interesting. It never gets old to me. I'm always the one in the corner, like teary eyed once the baby comes out and they're like, Hey, Dr. B, come take a picture. I'm like, ah. <laughs> I'm like, thank God I don't wear mascara. I would look terrible. Um, <laughs> So there's a couple of births that stand out for different reasons. Uh, one of them is a first time mom who did a home birth and, uh, she had no fear. She did hypnobirthing. She had no fear. Um, at any point she had a doula who was also her hypnobirthing instructor and coach. Um, she had a midwife, midwife assistant and her husband and I was doing body work. She had this little, I don't know, like eight pound dog that was also like a doula, just licking her face during every contraction. It was so cute. Um, she never got to a point of fear. And I invited her on the podcast. I'm like, how did you do that? Like everybody has fear at some point. And she didn't. And she's like, well, it was the hypnobirthing. And it was Nina, my coach. Um, and she came with Nina and told how they got ready for it. But that, that leaves a, a, a sharp mark on my mind because, um, you know, first time mom, how do you not have fear? Everybody has some fear and some excitement and she just didn't. So that one, that episode is called Miss America home birth. And, um, her name is Shandy and it, it, it's a great one to listen to, you know, because she really talks about all the things she did to get there. And it did take a lot of prep work at the beginning. Um, and on the flip side, there's another mom who did a, a hospital birth who, uh, I was not supposed to be there really at her birth, but her doula went to, uh, Hawaii. She gave birth 10 days past her due date. And she never told anybody that she was contemplating an unmedicated birth because she didn't want to fail quote unquote. Um, but in her mind, she really wanted that. And, uh, what was really cool for her is she never stopped making jokes. There was moments of fear, but she never stopped making jokes. I'm like, well, if you're going to make jokes, I'm going to make jokes. Like you set the tone and I'll follow. And, uh, she would even have towards the end, these big contractions with a lot of primal noises coming out of her. And everybody's like, oh my gosh. And then afterwards she crack a joke. I'm like, was that not as painful as it sounded? And she's like, no, it just seemed like the right noise to make <laughs> at <laughs> that time, you know? And she used comedy. Um, that one, we have an episode with her too called the doula dude which is me, I guess. Um, and it was really cool because they kept asking her, you want the epidural now? She's like, no, I'm going to hold off a little longer. She never told her husband. She never told her doula. She never told her doctor. And uh, at the end, she did. And she's like, yeah, that's what I wanted. So um, also kind of incredible in any setting, you know. And then I, I think almost equally as incredible is, is being at a birth where somebody sets out saying, I want an unmedicated birth. And then realizes that, um, it's not for them. It's, it's not pain at some point that pain may cross over to suffering, which is, you know, pain is ouch and suffering is a negative emotional response to ouch and having the strength and courage to say, okay, um, I would like some medication now. And then, you know, not letting their birth become a negative psychological experience, uh, is also fantastic. I can go through a hundred different births and, and talk about how they were just, so incredible in their own way but um 
those are just some of the highlights that stick out. Just to wrap up, because I don't want to glaze over it. What are, what do you think are like maybe the top three most important things a woman can do postpartum? Um, just in general, like, I mean, it could be like chiropractic related. It could be like for their mental health. Like, what do you think helps the most in recovery? So I think, um, having support and asking for help, um, are, are very important. A lot of people don't want to, um, I think it's important to explore what happens postpartum before you get there to, you know, most people, you, you spend nine months generally getting fully pregnant and, you know, 24 hours getting unpregnant. And it's a huge, it's a huge spike in hormonal changes, emotional changes, responsibility changes, psychological changes. So much happens. Um, and if you're not really prepared for, for it, 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 it's almost like we, we spend nine months preparing for the 24 hours that is birth and no time at all preparing for what happens afterwards. And if you're not prepared for it, it can really um, spook you. It can really um, have a negative impact on your relationship, which is not a good transition for you, your partner, or your baby. And there are some things you can do ahead of time to just know. Also, baby blues are very, very normal um, early on when you start to feel sadness and that you're not used to or emotional and, and you know, someone will, someone will be at a graduation on a TV show and you'll start crying and uh, it's not you. Uh, that's pretty typical, but then sometimes it crosses over into things that are, are less typical and not normal or healthy and, and where it would be great to get some kind of more professional help. If you know what to look for in terms of the differences before you get there, then you'll get help right away and it won't become a big deal. But what I see a lot of times is people are the lines are blurred. They're not getting help. They're not getting support. They're getting more and more sad, depressed, um, anxious, uh, numb, and uh, they wait too long before getting any kind of support. And it doesn't always have to be a lot of support. It's just something. So knowing ahead of time where you'd go for that kind of support before you need it could also be um, really magical. Uh, in terms of the physical recovery, uh, I think it's important to give yourself some, some space. Like a lot of people just want to jump right back into their workouts or, or really restrict their calories. Um, and you know, look how they did before they got pregnant quickly. But again, it takes nine months to get in and it'll take some time to get out in a healthy way. So Give yourself some space. Have a plan on how you're going to slowly start to get back in. One thing that I think could be really cool that only a handful of doctors here in Los Angeles do is a three-week postpartum checkup. Most doctors do six weeks. But at three weeks, some people are recovered enough to be able to start doing things that they want to do, they're itching to do, but they can't do because they have to wait till six weeks. So maybe asking your doctor or midwife for a three-week checkup can be um, can be great too. I think that's really good advice. And for other resources, because you offer a ton of resources, uh, do you want to just shout those out? Um, yeah, we have a ton, and we also have lists of other ones at informedpregnancy.com. Um, one of the things that we just, we have our Informed Pregnancy podcast that we've been talking about, um, a great blog, the Informed Pregnancy blog with people who work really hard on uh, sourcing accurate information on biased information and trying to give you perspective. Um, but we just launched our new baby, which is informed pregnancy plus, and, uh, you can find it at informedpregnancy.tv. It's a video content, um, online on apps for Apple, Android, and Roku, and eventually Apple TV. Uh, there's documentaries on there. There's web series on there. My wife's, uh, workshop for getting your relationship ready for a baby called the afterbirth plan is on there and we're constantly adding health and wellness things like meditation yoga exercise and uh, every day there's more things on there so if you're looking for places for information so that you can make informed choices we have a lot of resource over there and uh, you know the the tools are, are becoming more and more available people just have to know that they exist and take advantage of them and your podcast. Don't forget about that. 
informed pregnancy podcast every week we have at least one podcast come out um those are also now we're in our 10th year we have 350 episodes and um there's just a a lot of birth stories in every setting and they're they're raw we don't um we do a before and after with a lot of people we're gonna do one with you um and we don't know how it's going to end until it happens and so you get the full perspective it's they're not they're not cherry picked based on the the how things turned out um and uh, there's also a lot of expert content on there so a whole episode about amniotic fluid or umbilical cord or about breech babies uh, there's so many and um thank goodness the the feedback has been wonderful and you could uh, it's evergreen content and just look through the library see what appeals to you and have a listen Amazing. And yes, I'm going to be doing my before and after birth preferences slash birth story on your podcast. So everyone stay tuned for that. And thank you so much for coming on for the second time. This was so informative as I knew it would be. And I can't wait to talk soon. Same. Thank you again for having me, Danielle. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Healthy Girl Podcast. That was such a great episode. Make sure that you rate, subscribe, and review the podcast. It would mean so much to me. And make sure that if you have not already pre-ordered the Healthy Girl Cookbook, that you do so so that you get your copy first. Uh, I have tons of pregnancy-friendly recipes. They're all vegan, plant-based, of course. But, you know, if you're listening to this, I'm assuming you might be pregnant. Um, So if you need like super healthy recipe ideas and things to make, definitely, definitely ordered my cookbook. But otherwise, if you're not pregnant, I just have my typical amazing plant-based recipes, over a hundred new recipes in the cookbook, but they're all super easy. Of course, you know, I only really post simple, simple recipes that don't take a ton of time, but taste really good and will make you fall in love with cooking for yourself and taking care of yourself. So, so yeah, thank you so much for listening. Love you. (laughs) 